Riverhead Books and Read It Forward present Marlon and Jake Read Dead People, a podcast with Marlon James and Jake Morrissey. I'm very excited to talk about dead people because I love speaking ill of the dead. It was the worst of times. It was the worst of times. You know what? I'm not going to defend that book. Enough about you. Let's talk about what I think. They're Jane Austen characters. I love that everybody was like, why? Not a fan of The Hobbits. I'm about to walk out of this room right now. If you're going to be that obvious, why don't you just hit me with a two by four and be done? That is some serious shit. Welcome to another episode of Marlon and Jake Read Dead People with me, Marlon James, and my erstwhile editor, Jake Marcy. That's me. And in this episode, as we always do, we'll be talking about dead authors and the book they wrote, telling you what we think about them. So get ready for some book talk that you won't find anywhere else. They won't find it anywhere else because they're dead. <laughs> so introduce yourself to the people, Jake. I am Jake Morrissey, and I am the one who keeps Marlon James honest. Wow. Mm-hmm. And I've got the bail. I've got the bail money to prove it. As in, I go. You must be the least successful person, <laughs> according to my critics on Facebook. And I'm Marlon James, who's written a bunch of novels, including Black Leopard, Red Wolf, and A Brief History of Seven Killings, which some of you guys liked. Um, so in this episode, we want to try something a little different for us. We're going to be answering questions from readers all over who've asked us things we haven't had a chance to explore until now. So let's get going. And the first one, first question I can, I can see here is who's the dead author you can't stand that everybody else seems to like? I can tell you that right now for Mm -hmm. me, it is William Faulkner. And why can't you because stand him? Because the, the guy cannot end a sentence, number one. Number two, he's one of those quintessential old white guys. Speaking as an old white guy, I, I can supposed to sympathize. You're not old. You have some features. Though. I have some features left. I just think he could have stood an editor. I think he could have gotten out, gotten out of the South. And I think he could have written a little bit more about something that didn't have to do with what it means to be crazy in a family in the South. Mm -hmm. Now, I know there are people who think he's a brilliant writer. Okay, that's fine. I am so not interested in what this chucklehead has to say. (laughs) (laughs) See, I I remember once Boris Pasternak wrote something. He didn't write it. It was an interview in Paris Review. And he was talking about Hemingway and why so many people like Hemingway. And he says, you know, he understands why people think Hemingway is a genius. But he basically said, as for me... I have no interest in getting a drink to sit down and read about people getting a drink to sit down. He's absolutely right. And for him, it's Hemingway. Yeah. And for Marquez, it's, it, well, famous Faulkner, rather. And for Marquez, Gabriel Garcia Marquez is Faulkner. And for people, Tony Morrison is Faulkner. For me, it's Faulkner. And I think because there is something about growing up in the ashes of slavery, the remnants of slavery and so on, that if you grew up in that world, you understand and I think my problem with Faulkner is that sometimes he tries too hard to prove that he's a good author. Yes. Or, you know, so Absalom, Absalom is thoroughly unreadable. Absalom, Absalom could be a short story. If somebody had sat down and said, all right, there is a core of actually something here that happens in an interesting way. Mm-hmm. Let's lose 475 pages of this. It would probably still be bad. Well, it's, at least it would be better. I mean, for me, somebody like Faulkner is like, Faulkner to me is like San Francisco. Mm -hmm. I recognize that a lot of people like it. I don't ever want to go there again. (laughs) 
that doesn't mean I don't say any. I'm not in any way trying to criticize the great city of San Francisco and oh my the people. God, half of our readership just quit. <laughs> well, but there is just there are just places you don't want to go. I don't want to. I don't want to go to. I don't want to go to the Nick Adams stories of, of Ernest Hemingway. I don't want to drag my finger in the in the river and think I'll never die. I don't want to do that. I don't. I want to hear things that and read things that I haven't read before. Mm-hmm. And these guys are not there for me. I'm trying to think of dead author. I can't stand who everybody else seems to like. Thomas fucking Hardy. <laughs> okay, sweet Lord Jesus. Why? It's it's um. I will I will excuse Tess. I think only Tess is only Tess. Maybe Jude. Some the, of Jude. The women, in other words. Yeah. Well, I mean, Jude the obscure. Right. Yeah, but he it's it's. I think people have this way of thinking that fifteen pages describing the Heath, the Heth, or whatever you call that damn word, is is interesting because it's pre TV. It's pre. It's pre this sort of visual language we have in the 20th century, so we have to allow for it. I'm like, dude, who are you flipping kidding? <laughs> okay. It's because he's a boring person. Well, it's a, he's a, it's, it's, um, I can take 15 pages of describing grass if it's good grass. And we're talking about the things that grow mm. in the heath, right? Yeah. Yes, exactly. All right. I mean, I'm, I, I, uh, I'm not a huge fan of Harding either. I like him, I think, a little bit better than you. The mm. thing about him that I, that, you, as soon as you – page one, it's like you start reading and think, oh, these fuckers are doomed. Mm-hmm. They're not, they're not going to get out. Everything's going to end up terribly. And there is something kind of radical about that for the time period, I think. But, I mean, so is Kate Chopin, you know. Absolutely. It's... And the thing about, about some place like, like The Awakening is mm-hmm. it's like, oh, I haven't, I haven't been in this woman's – I haven't been in this person's head before. Mm-hmm. I don't know what this woman is thinking. I want to learn about this. And the thing that I liked about about Hardy is that it's a world of kind of lower or, or I should say rural mm. um, kind of 19th century people who are like struggling with everything from, you know, confusion to love to hate to revenge or whatever. So it's like it's like people like trying to get out of the mud. I keep wondering if Hardy had even like one millionth of a sense of humor if it would have even made the tragedies more tragic. But I just find him, I mean, he was one of, I had at one point had defined English literature by books like Return of the Native, that literature is not something to be enjoyed. Yeah, and it's something to be endured. Endured, because what else can you do with that book but endure it? You just, <laughs> you just, I get very British actually, I just go, you know, this too shall pass. <laughs> Well, that's the thing is a lot of these a lot of Hardy is we we gotta we gotta survive because we have we have life is stacked against us and mm-hmm. you know what that may be that may be true that may have valor to it I'm not interested. Let's move on to another question: right. book or author that you initially hated but eventually changed your mind on, Mister Editor? All right, I will admit that I did not like. Um, and I know you're going to eviscerate me for this. T.S. Eliot. Which one didn't you like? I thought the four quartets. You know, I mean, were could this man end a sentence? Could <laughs> could he maybe you not? You seem to be big on sentence editing. <laughs> That's what I do. That's what I lie awake at night thinking about. How can you be more? So I mean, you know, I can only walk to and fro thinking of Michelangelo only for so long, mm-hmm. but. I had to read it in high school, and I thought, okay, no thanks. And then 
I came back later and having experienced, you know, having more experience, you sort of realize that this is a this is a guy who is, at least for me, trying to understand what it means to be um, what it means to try to connect with other people. Mm. See, this is why I think there is actually some some sort of of thread of hope for you. <laughs> Because I hated Faulkner when I first read him. Okay. I despised Sound and the Fury. I hated everything about it. And I hated, worse, I hated how the teacher made it seem is because I wasn't smart. Mm-hmm. This just said, well, this is a classic of English literature. And if you don't understand it, maybe the problem is you. It's you. Right. And I mean, maybe you're a boring teacher. But <laughs> turns out she was right. Because <laughs> the second time I read Sound and Fury, I still hated it. But did you understand it? I kind of understood it. Yes. And then the third time I read it, I mean, I loved it. And I think I still think in terms of the whole idea of stream of consciousness, in a lot of ways, it's a, it's braver than Mrs. Dalloway. In some ways, it's braver than Ulysses. Mm-hmm. Um, because see, I think he really was trying to capture the pulse of thought. Mm-hmm. And that, you know, that made, made a lot of sense to me. Okay. I should, speaking of Mrs. Dalloway, I probably should have added to William Faulkner Virginia Woolf. <laughs> but the thing about the thing about Virginia Woolf, I understand I understand why people like her and and mm-hmm. why she's so important within the sort of the evolution of fiction by women. I just find it um it, it I just find it so self-absorbed. Well that's because she's a snob. True. But so is Edith Wharton, and I can't stand her. See, the thing about Edith Wharton that I love <laughs> mm-hmm. is that Edith Wharton writes about, particularly about women who are on the margins, who are struggling to stay in the class that they're in, mm-hmm. or the class they want to be in, and they almost invariably fail. I got no sympathy for that. See, I, what I think is fascinating is the kind of conversation about people who are hanging on to the margins. Mm-hmm. And each of them have, and outwardly they have a particular um, uh, facade, but inside mm-hmm. it's like, I'm hanging on for dear life. Mm-hmm. Which is why I think somebody like Lily Bart mm-hmm. is ultimately a really tragic American, a piece of a, a character from American fiction. The thing about Lily Bart, because I like House of Mirth, mm-hmm. is that I, Lily Bart always tr- struck me as a kind of person that Edith Wharton would not be friends with. And yet, she writes very sympathetically about mm-hmm. her. And I thought trying to get me to like her. <laughs> well, <laughs> I actually thought for a, for five minutes, and I have never done this. I actually thought it would be pretty hilarious to write kind of a a a, a bad kind of comic farce where mm-hmm. Edith Wharton and Henry James driving in a car through Italy. It would be like Auntie Mame meets Mister Magoo. In uh, you know, in nineteen oh five or something, and again, I haven't written it. I don't know if it's any even mm. worth it to do, but I do think Edith Wharton is mm. is worthy of the. Uh, by the way, by the way, she was a bestseller at the time. So is Peyton Place. What's your point? My point is, we what we think now as boring American mm. literature was at the time something that was at the top of the bestseller list because mm-hmm. people wanted to read what Edith Wharton had to write. P.S. Her friend Henry James was doing so poorly that she had Scribner move some of her royalties over to his uh, royalty account, so it would look like he had actually sold more more books than he Aww. did. You know what? Let's give a nice round of applause for Edith yeah. Wharton. Okay, you're still a snob. <laughs> um, you know, you know to, to belabor this point, but because um, you brought up Wolf. 
And the person for me in 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 that in that in 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 that um, category is actually a, somebody who agreed with Wolf that on hating Ulysses, D.H. Lawrence. Now, and why don't you like him? Uh, to me, D.H. Lawrence is like he's like the bridesmaid. He's not. He's like the bridesmaid of the twentieth century, but not the bride. Because he... because I think there are things he touched on that may be interesting, but I just don't think he's a very good writer. So, do you think his ideas are more interesting than his prose? Oh or? yeah. Okay. All right, because I remember reading again. This is a. I have a. I remember reading. Um, I read Women in Love mm-hmm. and later Chatterley. And Women in Love, I really liked because it was actually about these four people, mm-hmm. and it was it was actually a a dynamic among you know four mature, complicated, sexually active men and women, and the greatest novel ever written. No, the greatest novel ever read. No. Um, Weirdly, it made a surprisingly interesting movie directed by Ken Russell, of all people. See, I like the movie more than the book. Oh, wow. Okay. Um, the thing about the, the evolution of the characters for me in Women in Love is that it is about the women. It, mm-hmm. The men are definitely involved in, in important characters, but it's about the evolution of the women. Every time I read a Lawrence novel, I'm like, I wanted a little bit more from you. A little bit more detail, insight. Okay, yeah. a talent is what yeah. you're saying. Uh, well, well, what for, I mean, what I, one of the questions I used to get was, um, uh, uh, or have gotten from people is, for for my money, what's the most annoying, or for your money, I guess, mm. what's the most annoying character in literature? Jesus, the most annoying character in literature. The first person I thought it was Emma. Oh God, she's so terrible. <laughs> she's so terrible. <laughs> I, and unfortunately, I know people like her nowadays. It's like, well, I'm here yeah. to, I'm here to, I'm here to make your life. I'm here to arrange your life, and it's going to be better. And you know what? It really isn't at the end. Yeah, I was like, you know what? That little correct view you're seeing was a mirror girl. <laughs> exactly. Oh, oh yeah. Emma's, Emma's. And it's funny because I really think that novel is a good novel. See, I think it's terrible. <laughs> from, well, from just from a from a narrative point of view. I mean, from a from a plot point of view. Um, she, I don't, I don't get why she ends up marrying Mister, mm. um, uh, uh, not Knightley. Who is it? I don't get I why remember. she married uh, the man who she ends up marrying. Mm. He's the guy. It's he's the creepy guy who's been hanging around her since she was, you know, knee high to a grasshopper. There's, there's. So you're saying it's it it it, it reads the era very well. Totally, it totally does. At the same time, it's way too Freudian for my taste. <laughs> I mean, I have a I have a, a a long theory that I will bore you with someday about. Um, the the sisters, the Dashwood sisters, in Sense and Sensibility, ended up with the wrong man. Mm-hmm. They should have they should have ended up with the, with the the guy their sister ended up with. But that's a whole other conversation. Well, I mean, I you know, I I don't think some Jane Austen is somebody you should take relationship advice from. Well, with the exception of, I would argue, Persuasion, because mm-hmm. I think that's a, a brilliant novel about regret. It's like when people talk about Darcy and, yeah, but we love one in the end. I said, that's because you still want to sleep with Colin Firth, girl. <laughs> okay. It's, it's, it has nothing to do with. It's like when, it's like the, the, the first and last time I clashed with my lit professor was over a streetcar named Desire. Because? Because everybody in there is dead, so disqualifies. <laughs> and he was just going on and on about Stanley Kowalski being this flesh and brawn, and he's, he's the anti-hero. I just, that's because you want to have sex with Marlon Brando. <laughs> if, 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 if Stanley Kowalski looked like Carl Malden, we would not be here talking. We would not be having this conversation. Uh, that's probably true. You know? The thing about, for me, the thing about, uh, about Streetcar that I find so depressing is everybody ends up alone. Mm-hmm. Even Stanley and Stella are like they're 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 a thing, but 
they don't the the connection they have is physical. It's not it's a, yeah. psychic. It's a very Tennessee Williams thing, though. Everybody's alone in glass menagerie. Too. Absolutely, that was the thing. There was a period of time, and I and I may be getting my I may be getting my day my years wrong, um, but there was a period of time when Harvey, the play Harvey and the play Streetcar Named Desire were, were I think on Broadway at the same time. Mm-hmm. And Harvey won the Pulitzer Prize for drama. I and remember. The, well, and, I wasn't there. Well, <laughs> but I mean, the whole idea that we are that we're somehow, we're you know, we can connect with each other over a six foot three inch tall invisible rabbit, as opposed to the uh, wing, um, the glass menagerie where we're all alone mm-hmm. in a cold, senseless universe that doesn't give a rat's ass about us. Nobody cares about that. Nobody. Cares. Um, well, for but, my money, for my money, the worst, the most annoying. annoying. Mm-hmm. You know who I'm going to say? I'm going to say Heathcliff. <laughs> from Wuthering Heights. Heathcliff is the Heathcliff is the guy you had in your in your high school who who just wasn't paying any attention to what was going on around him. And he was like mm-hmm. only focused on one thing and that was the pretty girl across the classroom that he never quite could figure out how to get to talk to him. See, I agree with you on Heathcliff, but to me, he's a person who thinks he's a poet. And he rhymes things, and he thinks because a line in his thing rhymed with Nantucket. <laughs> he somehow, he's he so somehow, uh, and it's uh, that uh, person, Tennyson. that person who's just like, I am, ju- you know, I'm just four members shy of a legendary rock band. <laughs> <clears throat> well, the thing, I, I, yeah. I mean, I can't, I mean, the number of times I've read, um, uh, Weathering Heights over the years with increasing irritation is to me that it's like this guy, this guy needs to shut up and and walk away because nobody cares what he has to say. And he's so full of resentment and rage. Mm-hmm. And you know what? Um, get a job. God, that makes me sound like such a capitalist. I'm sorry. But he should. Yeah. Yeah, go find work. Go, go find a purpose. Exactly. Or, or at least get a better name than Heathcliff. <laughs> Yeah, I guess. Um, Every I time know. I hear Heathcliff, I just think somebody's going to go rough right yes. afterwards because that's a dog's name. Yes, totally, totally. And and the and the whole sort of um, mythology, the visual mythology with mm. with the movie that came out in what the '30s with Merle Oberon and Laurence Olivier, mm. Heathcliff, looking very brooding and 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 actually, um, uh, it it just makes you think. God, I just want to get out in the, I, I, you know, let me go to the Cineplex and go see Gone with the Wind. That at least makes more sense. Yeah, but the movie at least, at least everybody's so pretty. Okay, Geraldine Fitzgerald and David Niven. You don't think of those two people no, are like. No, I'm talking Merle Oberon. Yes, Merle Oberon is unbelievably what, beautiful. David Niven isn't hot? What's wrong with you? <laughs> David, no, I'm sorry, David Niven is, <laughs> is not I'm sure he was a very nice guy, but uh, no, not hot, no. Not. I'm trying to think of other characters that people are fine with, but just great me. Well, you know who's annoying? Daisy in Great Gatsby. All right. I've I've like I've never had. Let's just say I've never had warm feelings. Well, the thing her. about the thing about Daisy and Tom Buchanan is that they're they're supposed to be. You're 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 supposed to understand just how unbelievably selfish they are, mm-hmm. and their selfishness causes the problems that happened in the great Gatsby and you know the ultimate demise of Gatsby mm-hmm. and so I, I I understand why they're there mm-hmm. I understand I'm not supposed to like them I don't mm-hmm. um, the the one the the person that annoys me most in Gatsby is Myrtle mm-hmm. how can you I mean I understand that Tom Buchanan has money mm-hmm. but come on girl 
you can you can <laughs> you can pick up your game here. I know he stops at your at your husband's gas station and and you mm. guys you know, um, but I'm oh yeah this is, mm. you should know this isn't going to end well. <laughs> My final intro for that is everybody in Vanity Fair. Interesting because I know a number of I oh, no I go ahead somebody else but the person isn't dead. Okay, I know a number of a number of um uh, a number of people who really who respond to Becky Sharp mm-hmm. in a positive way, even though they recognize she's a horrible person or a horrible character. So it's like they see the, they see the, um, their horribleness. Yeah. They see the venality <laughs> in her, in her, but at the same time, it's like, Oh yeah, she's, um, she's got this, she's got this going on. Mm-hmm. I don't know if that's true. I, I've, I'm morally neutral on Vanity Fair. So I'll give that to you. Uh, I will. I, I, I keep waiting for a really good miniseries. I think, um, Let's move on. What is the best book by the worst author you know? Oh, that's totally easy. For me, QB7 by Leon Uris. Have I read it? I read The Hajj and I read Exodus. Yes. Okay. You Okay. QB7 is the story of a – it came out, I think, in the 60s. It's the story of a successful writer based on Leon Uris mm-hmm. who um, wrote about in, – in a previous book, wrote about a Polish doctor – who performed experiments on Jews for the Nazis. Mm-hmm. And he wrote about this in a book and was sued, and he named names, and he was sued by the, the, the doctor in, uh, for libel in criminal court in England. Mm-hmm. And it's the story of the writer, the author, his wife, and the, um, the, the doctor. And it's essentially a courtroom melodrama. And at the very end, you find out what happens and the jury comes back and it's this very tense, dramatic moment. And it is – the jury comes back to say, yes, Dr. – I think his name was Adam Kel, Kelso or Kelno has, – um, has been libeled. Mm-hmm. And the, um, the cost that the, that the, uh, that the defendant, um, the author, has to uh, pay is one brass farthing, the lowest coin of the realm. Hmm. So essentially, it was this great kind of pulpy, pre-Grisham kind of legal thriller mm-hmm. about um, essentially the sins of uh, of people who survived uh, collaborating with the Nazis. And it was a great miniseries with, I think, Anthony Hopkins, back, a young Anthony Hopkins back in the day. Young? And it, yeah, both of the 60s. Oh, but a miniseries, because the whole miniseries era is like the mid-70s. Well, you know what? You're and right. those guys couldn't get work. You're right. Maybe it was the early 70s, because it was, I, I think I may have seen it um, uh, then, as opposed mm-hmm. to, because I wasn't around. Anyway. Um, um, let's see. Best, uh, for me, God, I, 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 I actually had more than one. At one point, I had three. The first one I could think of was Arthur Haley's Airport. Okay. That is, that is an unbelievably good beach read yeah because it's like oh god this is un this is so unbelievable i mean it's mm. it's it's melodrama with a capital m and i'm a big and you know as as someone a classic victorian i'm all here for <laughs> melodrama i i you know so i thought i thought three books actually i thought of arthur haley's airport uh what was the second one i thought bad book by by a good author it just went out of my head well see i would not argue that arthur haley is a good author You'd argue he's a good author. I, I'm not arguing he's a good author. He's he's a good storyteller. Mm-hmm. But I'm not thinking, oh, yeah, this is prose. I'm going to remember long No, and, no. Okay, long but I, and, still, I still think of, but we're talking best book by the worst yes. author. Um, what else? 
Oh, God, there was a book by Judith Kranz. Is it Kranz? What is it called again? They're all the same. What does it matter? Shut up, Jake. <laughs> <laughs> there is this book. So, so one of the worst authors I read is a pretty uh, – um, Jamaicans would know who I'm talking about. This is an author named Herbert G. Delisser. Okay. And he wrote, he, he wrote these sort of um, – I used to call them bodice ripper crotch grabbers. <laughs> Um, novels, this 18th century slave novels. Oh, that made me remember the other one. And he wrote a book called The White Witch of Rosa, which is based on an actual um, slave master, slave mistress in Jamaica called Annie Palmer. And it's, it's, it's a, the very first sentence is Robert Rutherford reigned his horse. <laughs> I'll bet the audio for that book and, was amazing. Yeah, and it 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 it, it doesn't get much better than that. <laughs> no, but it as a kind of a black exploitation, sex exploitation, slave exploitation, woman exploitation, every exploitation you can think of novel, it is actually a lot of fun. Yeah. <laughs> it's in every Jamaican airport, meaning two, and. <laughs> It's the yeah, you know, and it also made me think of find of the other wor- best novel by the worst author, one of the worst authors I've ever read, and I'm totally devoted to him because his name is fantastic. We talked about him before, Lance Horner. Oh yes, Mr. Horner, indeed. Lance Horner. <laughs> why didn't he write gay porn? I don't know. Or why isn't he a Midwestern um, housewife? Right, pseudonym. Right. So you wrote a novel named Black Sun, and I remember thinking, oh, this. I mean, take away the 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 slave slave master gay anal sex. Um, there's actually it, it, there's act- a novel here. It was actually I thought, wow, this is kind of thoughtful. Oh, interesting, interesting. And yeah. I was tell you know, read that one first. <laughs> All right. Well, let me ask you this because mm-hmm. I, I've gotten this question several times. Um, if I have, if I'm going to read, if I'm going to read. A Nazi, mm-hmm. if I'm going to read a Shakespeare play that isn't mm-hmm. Hamlet, which one should I read, Jake? Which one should I read, Marlon? Oh, God. Um, um, Richard III. Really? Yeah. Because? Because Richard III is his darkest play. It totally is dark. It's his darkest. It's the only play without comic relief. Yep. Okay. Well, how's the thing is, it's it's one of, it's not one, it's, it's not, I was going to say one of the few. To me, it's such a, it's just such a poetic play, and okay. it's so dark. And I think, um, especially for people like modern sensibilities or whoever just finished reading Wolf Hall, okay, you know, it's um, it's it has always been my favorite. But then again, I've always been pretty goth. Well, I was going to say you went you went very dark. My suggestion would have been um, the Merchant of Venice. Because of those 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 casks mm-hmm. that, that those three casks, and the fact that there's a um, there's a law and order reveal at the end with mm-hmm. the, with the trial yeah. with the quality of mercy and all that stuff. The thing about Merchant of Venice is Merchant of Venice would also end up being for most people would be like the question two or three that we ask the book you hated that you might end up liking because right. almost everybody has gone through Merchant of Venice in school and pretty much everybody hated it. See, it I, I liked it. I don't. Know. I guess I was like, yeah, really. Yeah. Well, you had that one teacher who could teach Shakespeare. Well, it's, no. See, because what happened was I I read it and I thought, oh, this has this actually the the, the there's stuff that happens along the way mm-hmm. that's cool. I thought, like, uh, I mean, the thing about as weird as it is, the Winter's Tale, 
where this statue just comes to life at the end of the play. Mm-hmm. And you're thinking, wait a minute, how did that, how did that happen? You know? So anyway, the whole idea of kind of seeing something on the stage versus seeing something on the page or reading something on the page. Mm-hmm. The thing about, for me, the uh, Merchant of Venice works just as well as a, as a story to read as it did a play. Well, what's a Shakespeare play that people are kidding themselves as it's good when it's actually shit? Julius Caesar. Whoa! Yes. That sound coming through the window is my dead father's ghost <laughs> coming for your neck. Okay. Wow. Uh, uh, an Elizabethan playwright does not need to write about the decline of Roman democracy. <laughs> well, he's, well, he's well, an era wasn't declining yet. Well, That's a Stuart. Well, no, I'm, t- I'm talking about Caesar. Uh, I'm talking about. I'm not talking about the what's happening in in uh, uh, in England at the time. Mm. I don't. I don't want a metaphor. I don't want a metaphor from. From William Shakespeare about the decline of democracy, seen through the death of Julius Caesar. So the play, I the play, I, I think people keep thinking is good and it's not, is Pericles. Okay, you might be the only person in this section of the known universe who knows anything about Pericles. Because I know everything about Shakespeare. You do know everything about Shakespeare. But Pericles is like, we're just gonna drop this incest bomb right here, <laughs> and then we're gonna have, go on a journey. <laughs> It's like you can't, you can't. It, it's, 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 it's. What if the Odyssey had incest? It's like you can't, you, you, you can't drop something so heavy and devastating, right. even for its time period. Right. Okay. And then we're gonna do a see a ripping yarn out of it. I think it's one of his worst plays. Well, okay. I've not read. It. I mean, I've not read deep into the. I mean, I've never read the Merry Wives of Windsor. I've not read. I like that one. Uh, Cymbeline is also not great. Cymbeline, I, I started that and thought, you know what? There aren't enough days left it's in my you. life. It's not you. It's it. Yeah, it's not you exactly. It's it's the play. That makes sense. Mm-hmm. Well, now, all right. Also, one of the questions that I got at uh, uh, Get Together a couple weeks ago, um, what books or book would you take like on a desert island to read for the rest of your... Hmm. And it can be a collection. It can be like, you know, it can, maybe it's the work, maybe it's the collected works of Dickens yeah. or something like that. I mean, my pro- my, it's not a problem, but when I, when I think of it, there's a, and I think, okay, what's going to last the longest? <laughs> well, also hold your interest though, right? Um, yeah. The first book I thought was Master and Margarita by Bulgakov. Because my oh, theory, that's long, right? It's long, but but the thing about that book is every time you read it, it's a different book. Oh, interesting. And if I'm going to be in a desert island, I'm going to need that shit. Totally right. You're absolutely right. Yep. All right. What would you? Um. What would you? Uh, I guess I, I should answer my own question. I think what I told them was I would bring. There was something that I, there was something specific. Oh, I would bring um. Uh. A hundred years of solitude. Hmm. Because it's it what somewhat similar to what you're talking about mm-hmm. is that every time I read it, something else kind of comes forward. Mm-hmm. Yes, the magical realism there, but the whole idea of kind of like what makes a family yeah. is interesting. Depending on where you are in the space that when you read it, that's a wondrous book. I wonder if it made me more depressed than a desert island, though. <laughs> well, I can't speak to that. You but said I, I could read Carrie Robinson Crusoe, and I go. Dumbass bitch. You yeah, have I, no yeah, idea. Yeah, you're this right. This is not what it's like on a desert island. Right, and I and I could I could not run away fast enough when I was a kid from Robert Louis Stevenson. Mm-hmm. Kidnapped, Treasure Island. It's like stay on those islands, stay kidnapped. I, you said I knew about your disciple author, and I was really prepared to defend him until I realized, no, I didn't read him. I read the comics. <laughs> Love the classics illustrated. Classic illustrated. They are amazing. But they're also responsible for us liking some bad works a lit. 
Well, because of course, at the time when they were when they were drawn or, mm-hmm. or sold, it was like that was the choice you had. I mean, Robert Louis Stevenson is one of the reasons why when I was working in in graphic design in Jamaica, I, one of the laws I had as the boss was we observed Talk Like a Pirate Day. <laughs> Which I think is September thirteenth, and I was very serious. I was, I was, I will fire you. You, you were one fun. Boss. Listen, I said it's talk like a parrot today. You better say shiver me timbers, or I will fire your ass. Well, that's one of those things where I would. I remember reading when um, I think it was actually uh, when I was like twenty years or so ago. There was a particular reference in a, in a mystery novel. I can't remember who it was, but they were mm-hmm. talking about the black dot on the piece of paper that was in, I think it was kidnapped or maybe, tre- no, maybe, I think it was Treasure Island. Mm-hmm. Anyway, it's like it became, it was such a part of the kind of the cult, the p- kind of popular culture firmament that, that when you saw black dot on a piece of paper, you knew that it was a reference to Treasure Island, which there might be a there might be a parallel today. I'm mm-hmm. not exa- maybe it's the albi- the albino and something like the Dante, um, mm-hmm. uh, the Dante, the Da Vinci Code. Um, but my point is we we've moved on from mm-hmm. Stevenson, thank heaven. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think we are now at a point where you know he bec- he's kind of an interesting kind of cultural mm-hmm. anomaly from a different maybe my grandfather's era. Yeah, that said, it made me think. I'm not sure the great pirate novel has been written. Maybe High Wind in Jamaica. Okay. But I don't know if it has been written, the, 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 the great pirate novel. Other than, of course, the, the, the music from Pirates of the Caribbean at Disney World. So, I thought you were going to say Pirates of Penzance. <laughs> I am a major model of a model major general. Uh, we probably already talked on this in some way, but least favorite author. No. What is the least favorite book by an author you love? Least favorite book by an author Try I love. Try to limit to one, yes. Mr. Editor. Yes, yes, yes. All right. I would probably say least favorite least favorite book by the author I, an author I love. I would probably say This Side of Paradise. Hmm. Why don't you like it? Well, it feels like one – it reads to me like one long throat clearing. <laughs> It's like you had to get it out of your system in order for you to kind of explore the ideas that you want to explore. It, it's uh, uh, an early novel by F. Scott Fitzgerald mm-hmm. um, for, for the two people out there who don't know what I'm talking about. So, yeah, you need to write it. Yeah, you need might need to read it if you're interested in, in Fitzgerald in some way. But don't worry about it. Move on. Mm-hmm. There's better stuff ahead. Yeah. I kind of answered that question already when I said Absalom, Absalom from William William Faulkner. So let's pick somebody else. Um, I love Dickens. Tale of Two Cities is one of the worst books ever oh, written by a great author. Unquestionably, unquestionably. Ever. And and I know. I I mean I'm I'm a big fan of Dickens myself. I mm-hmm. think Bleak House is one of the five greatest novels ever written. Um, I will go to my grave not having um, wor- worried one more second about our, our about our mutual friend. <laughs> having read it, I've read it, mm-hmm. and I and I have literally no memory about it whatsoever. I keep trying to get into David Copperfield because I feel this is his, this is the one he says is most personal to him, and it's just so it's 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 like it's like his Absalom Absalom. It's like let me show you the many ways in which I'm a great writer. Right. And it's like this is just all sort of sentimental bullshit. Yes, which is a big flaw with Dickens. 
But yeah, Tale of Two Cities, even the first line, which is the only thing anybody really knows, I'm like, <laughs> that doesn't tell you you're about to like sail in some verbal shit here. Right. Totally true. It totally. was the best of times, it was the worst of times. Shut up, you pretentious piece of horseshit. <laughs> <laughs> well, and then it goes on with, you know, claws after claws after yeah. claws. It Can was... you imagine if I, I went to my doctor and go, doctor, what's the diagnosis? <laughs> the patient, it's the best of times, it's the worst of times. <laughs> well, I can, I mean, every, if any manuscript came into me, it'd be like, all right, the first six lines are crossed mm-hmm. out because get to, you know, get to what, get to what the point is. The thing about Dickens, the one criticism I will level at him as a, as a writer, every paragraph he writes is one sentence too long. Yeah, it's like if you cut that, it moves so much faster. You have a, it's much clearer. His meaning is much more acute, in my opinion. So this is one of my deep, deep, deep dark secrets that I want to share with few people, including the millions of people who listen to this. <laughs> Dickens is one of those authors where I don't feel bad about reading the abridged classic. Oh, oh yes, that's interesting. It's 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 uh. Well, it depends on the novel, though. Would yeah. you Would you read the abridged version of Bleak House? No, I wouldn't read the abridged Bleak House. I agree. I agree. But even the abridged, because I have read it, yep. um, even the abridged Tale of Two Cities at least gets done quicker. Well, the, the smartest thing to do for Tale of Two Cities is to like, you know. Not read it? Well, find a Ronald Coleman version on on like, you know, a black and white on Saturday night and watch it. It's 90 <laughs> minutes of your life that you may never get back, but it's a lot faster to get through than reading the novel. Yeah. <laughs> now, would you, um, uh, would you, I mean, I know there are people you don't like, but are there people that you... You know, the people that you know, okay, I really like them and recognize they're good, but I'm not willing to kind of go back into their into their canon. Like, for example, I realize I should like Vita Sackville West. Mm-hmm. I've read The Edwardians three times, and each time I realize each it, it's not a novel. Mm-hmm. And I know I should think more of what she's done. Yeah. Are there people like that that you are come across? I, you know what, I... I really wanted John Williams, not John, not John A. Williams, who who wrote Clifford's Blues, which is fantastic, but John Williams, Mister Bedrock of American literature that you haven't read, and he's have not, you know, to, you know, it's there are people who clutch stoner like how other people clutch the Bible. Oh wow. Um, I remember an author friend of mine, that's how you introduce it. It's a great American classics that Americans haven't read. <laughs> that's right. We have known nothing about them. And it's, it's um, I really, really was, I really wanted this guy and this book to be that kind of mantra that it was, that like what for some people Steppenwolf was. Yep. And I'm like, you know what? This, this is like a higher version of a hookup. I'm like, oh wow! The, a, a good wow. time was had by all. I'm never rereading you. <laughs> I'm not leaving you my number. It's going to be. A, I'm yeah, not going to text you. I I can think of a you know I'm. It's kind of, it's kind of how I feel sometimes. He's dead, so we can talk about him. It's also how I sometimes feel about David Foster Wallace. Mm-hmm. You know, I've you know I've I've read books that I've admired and I've read and I love, but I I just I haven't read a I haven't read anything from him where I'm like. I'm going to come back and reread you. Well, the thing about it too is it's such a, I mean, for him, for, for Wallace, it's a commitment. You're not reading 80 pages and be done. This mm-hmm. isn't, this is not the Pearl by John Steinbeck, mm-hmm. which P.S. is not worth the paper it's written on, but that's another. Hey, I like that book. Did you really? Every eighth grader I know in America had read it. And I, I, I thought, you know what? I'd rather read, I'd rather read a real novel than the Pearl. 
Well, actually, I read it in the eighth grade. Yes, I'm sure you did because you were, you know, you were somebody who was actually paying attention in eighth grade, unlike me. Well, it was also one of those few books where I saying that we actually understood what was going on. Okay, like being assigned Charles and Cressida, and we're like, what is this? <laughs> All right. All right. That's that's the trap that I think a lot of them, at least American educators do is like, oh, let's find a book that will that that an eighth grader will understand. I read in ninth grade, I read The Great Gatsby and I understood what happened. Mm-hmm. I understood that there was a lot of, you know, bad stuff that went on because people were cruel and selfish. Why? Granted, it was, you know, that was a year later. But come on, come up with something more mm. interesting than than The Pearl. Or the Red Pony, or, what about or Johnny Row? Tremaine, what Cannery Row? Exactly. Yeah. Now I understand. You know Steinbeck is one of the great American writers. It's he just doesn't speak to me. Um, I I I get why people, you know, why he write the way he wrote the way he wrote and what he what he wrote about. I get all that and I mm-hmm. understand. But I just I'm not I I'm not there. I'm not buying a ticket for it. I'm not. I have to go reread Steinbeck. I think I have to go reread. Um, who, who were you talking about before? I have to Ooh. go reread. Uh, Ooh, Faulkner? Yeah, I think I need to go reread Faulkner. Are you just saying that for this podcast I'm and you're not, actually not going to do no, it? No, actually what I think I may do is, as weird as it is, um, the fact that you ta- were talking about Absalom, Absalom today, mm. I literally came across my one copy of Absalom, Absalom last night. Mm-hmm. So the universe is telling me something. It's like, Jake, mm. get your ass together. I don't know. That sounds like read Absalom, Absalom to confirm that you hate Faulkner. <laughs> but at least so I'm going never... to at least I'm going to make an effort to go back to it. Whether or not it's whether or not it's useful, I can't speak to that. Um, <laughs> there, was, there anything? Oh, I wanted to say one thing positive. I don't know where to put this. Is there is there one novel? Is there one novel that you come back to every now and then, like every couple of years, maybe that you that you like that you want to read? Um, let me make sure I'm only talking about the dead ones, the dead authors, because <laughs> there are quite a few bad living authors that I still come back to. Um, books that I st- always come back to, there are quite a few of them, actually. And you, and do you read them? I mean, I, it's like, it's like, for me, it's like meeting an old friend. Mm-hmm. Um, the one novel that I do that maybe every three or four years is, uh, The Ambassadors by Henry James. Mm-hmm. And... I, I am the first person to stand in line to say that he is not a perfect writer. He mm-hmm. could, seeking and not ending, being able to end a sentence. But that's the, a big little trail going totally going through this. Totally. Podcast. But the ambassadors itself, I think, is a really interesting, compelling sort of human story mm-hmm. that I find, uh, and I find new stuff in it whenever yeah. I read. Written by the kind of quintessential privileged white male writer that I've been denouncing in this in this episode. So. Take that with a grain of salt, but I think um, uh, Henry James is an often overlooked. Yeah. There's a lot of crap he's written, but there's a, he's an often overlooked writer. You know, my next novel is going to be like a three thousand page sentence, right? <laughs> I'm just, well, I'm just the, setting you up. The Autumn of the Patriarch. Marcus is the Autumn of the pa- Marquez's Autumn of the Patriarch. It's like. one. It's one sentence. It's one paragraph. I mean, it's one paragraph. It's one paragraph. Yeah. Yes, it's one paragraph. Yeah. It's really hard to read on the page because there's yeah. no place for your eye to rest. But I quite like that novel. It it's very mm. but but my point is getting getting away from the kind of you realize as you're reading it that the eye 
Mm-hmm. How we read it has a lot to do with the experience of how we how much we enjoy it or don't like mm-hmm. it. It's a really big commitment to read one paragraph. Is that your way of saying I shouldn't send in submit my three thousand? That's a very subtle way of me saying exactly God that. Damn it, man! <laughs> You're so anti art, Jake Marcy. Anti art, pro reading. Our book I always come back to White Sargasso Sea. Oh, that's a great novel by, by Gene Reese. That's a great novel. It's also great because if you if you've read if you've read the novel that that it sort of explore it takes off mm. from it's that much richer you can also it's enjoy it's richer now than Jane Eyre it, w- it is w- well it, it's yes it's it's certainly more sophisticated yeah I just don't I mean I, I, I you know I, I mean I'm, I'm trying I, I give Bronte some props that there's us growing up with just three sisters out in the moors you just wouldn't know I think there's some emotional yes. intelligence she just wouldn't have true and, and, and I quite like Jane Eyre um, but Jenner also is really, really flawed in that it depends, hinges too much on coincidence. And complete, like, ridiculous, I mean, you know, uh, Jane hearing, you know, Rochester's name mm-hmm. across the, uh, you know, voice across the morning. Wait, this isn't Twilight. It's our goth, it's the goth It's flavor. the goth thing, but, absolutely. But, yeah, but why Sargasso see? Um, it's funny because I, it, even despite what it is and the characters, I, 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 I the distinguish I hate people usually saying in literature, I identify mm-hmm. with a lot of it. The sort of the damn, the, it's almost like it's like it's the remnants of 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 slave rebellion or so on, and it's still burning. Yes, and um, and there's so much in it I understand. And I mean, also you know, I'm a big fan of Gene Reese to begin with. Mm-hmm. But just the the there's something so unbracingly fresh about that novel. Um, in a lot of ways, it was a novel that slammed the. I mean, it was from 1966, yep. but I think it was a novel that finally slammed the door shut on the 19th century. Oh wow! It's That's like you can't you can't read White Sargasso Sea and and read Victorian with a rose with a rose colored lens mm-hmm. anymore. You realize that you know these are. These are some nasty, hypocritical people who destroy everybody in their wake who are not them. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And it's it's and I envy that she can pull it off in such a short space. I was going to say it's a really short novel to to do all that you're talking about, mm-hmm. which I agree with you that she did. But it's 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 I mean it's kind of an amazing conceit mm-hmm. that she managed to pull off. Yeah, and that's way too much of my editor that you should be hearing in one podcast. <laughs> You can listen to me all day if you want, though. Um, send us your feedback and ideas at wereaddeadpeople at prh.com. If you enjoyed this episode, we hope you'll subscribe to us on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you listen to podcasts. And don't forget to rate this podcast as it will help more people discover my brilliance and Jake's me, absolute me. inability to understand the complex sentence. <laughs> You can follow Read It Forward and Riverhead Books on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram for updates on all things books, all of them written by living authors in this case. And we'll have links in the show notes to all of the books that we've talked about today. So until next time, go read some dead people. <laughs> <laughs>